there are definitely key pillars of the supply chain that need to be aligned. And again, all of our customers, I would say, are actively working on all of those pillars, whether it's inventory planning, inventory placement, network modeling, the commerce experience, speed and convenience to their customers. Those are all common pillars that every company is trying to figure out. They are the right products in the right place, fast enough to meet the demand that I have when I have it. And am I engaging my customers the way that they want to be engaged? And am I promising them what they're going to get, when they're going to get it, all that kind of good stuff. So I think at the end of the day, the pillars are common. What happens, the uniqueness in the sauces, how do you address it for each customer? You can think of supply chains being orchestrated very differently based on the customer. So from our perspective, so we have these pillars and building blocks, make them very flexible to make sure that you can use those and build within your whatever customer is looking to achieve. And again, those goals could be very, very different. Everyone is talking about everything going digital, the grocery going digital, this whole omni-channel scenarios. But if you look at every one of them in detail, they're actually quite unique. Okay, if you break down the supply chain in its simplest form, what you basically have is brands procuring products, and then delivering them to customers where and when they need them. Sounds pretty easy, right? But if you've listened to this show long enough, you know that's not the case. I've heard countless guests tell me how much the supply chain impacts their business. And we've discussed the number of challenges they've encountered throughout the year, thanks to all the disruptions that have been coming. One thing they all had in common, no one had answers to the problems they were facing. And that changes now. On this episode of Up Next in Commerce, I was so excited to finally get some insights on the supply chain issues from a couple of guys from Blue Yonder. And yes, I said guys, because this is a roundtable episode and I needed a couple people here to make sure I really nailed this issue. Joining us first is Omar Akila, who currently serves as a GVP of product at Blue Yonder. And we also had Eugene Amigood, who's a GVP of product management and architecture at Blue Yonder. So what is Blue Yonder? Blue Yonder is an end-to-end supply chain platform that enables companies to tackle all the problems in the supply chain. And a little side note, It's currently on track to be acquired by Panasonic for a measly $7.1 billion. From planning to execution, to transportation management, to commerce, to promising a customer when they're going to get it and making sure that you fulfill those promises. These are just some of the things that Eugene and Omar have insider knowledge about. We dug into all those topics and more, and they shared how they help brands solve issues at all stages of the supply and fulfillment process. Regardless of the issues that brands have at hand, Eugene and Omar have heard, seen, and solved all of it. And what was fun about this episode is that they have really seen the trends evolving in real time, including how important is same day or next day delivery? Maybe it depends on the vertical or industry. And what about things like AI and ML? How are they impacting this world? And what kind of difference does edge technology and data have on the entire buying and shipping experience? Tune in to this awesome roundtable episode with Eugene and Omar to solve all your supply chain woes. Enjoy. Really quick, I want to say thank you, thank you to our awesome sponsor, Salesforce Commerce Cloud. And I'm going to allow them to give you the inside scoop into some of the findings from their most recent State of Commerce report. Hi, this is John from Salesforce. Did you know that companies of all sizes and industries power their digital customer journeys with Commerce Cloud? Salesforce Commerce Cloud delivers B2B and B2C commerce, as well as order management around the globe. And with Commerce Cloud, you can engage with your customers anywhere and personalize interactions everywhere. Scale and innovate with ease and drive some serious growth for your business. 
And speaking of innovation, we recently surveyed nearly 1,400 commerce leaders and analyzed the consumer shopping and business buying behavior of more than 1 billion customers worldwide. And we uncovered emerging trends that will influence how companies can be successful and stay ahead in this ever-evolving landscape. To check out the trends we discovered, go to sfdc.co slash commerce insights. That's sfdc.co slash commerce insights, one word. Before we dive into this episode, I was hoping you could please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. It helps spread the word about the show and I would really love it. So please let me know how I'm doing and give me a rating, give me a review. Let us know. All right, enjoy the episode. Hello and welcome back to Up Next in Commerce. This is your host, Stephanie Postles, CEO at mission.org. Today, we have an epic roundtable with two men from Blue Yonder, Eugene and Omar. Guys, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm very excited to have you on. So today, I'm very happy because we're finally tackling something that so many of our guests have been saying is an issue. I mean, hundreds of episodes in, and almost all of them have said supply chain is one of the biggest issues in e-commerce, but no one knows how to figure it out. And they always say, hi, can someone come and help us with this? So I'm really excited about the conversation today. To start, maybe Omar, if you could kind of give us an overview of what is Blue Yonder. So uh, Blue Yonder, if you think about it, is really an end-to-end supply chain platform that enables uh, companies to tackle all the problems that you talked about in the supply chain, right? From planning to execution, to transportation management, to commerce, to uh, orchestrating an order to where it needs to go, to promising a a customer when they're going to get it and, and making sure that you fulfill on those promises. So if you really think of all of the various components of the supply chain, we basically power that, right? From, you know, the bits and bytes that need to be in the warehouse during the time that they need to be there to planning the labor all the way to getting it to a customer. And what are some of the brands that you guys work with? Are they all just big brands? Are there some small ones in there too? What does that look like? We work with various uh, brands. Uh, some of those include uh, pretty pretty well-known uh, could be a Lululemon or CVS, Urban Outfitters. Oh yeah, just some small guys. No big deal. That's awesome. So I want to talk about kind of the, you know, the landscape today of where supply chain is. Because like I said, we hear that there's all these issues, there's delays. We were having a heated conversation earlier before we were recording around our couches all being delayed. And that's very sad. So I want to kind of hear what's going on today or maybe what has been transforming over this past year to get us here. Yeah, and I think, again, if you take it a step back, Stephanie, I would kind of think about it relative to every company is trying to offer a brand product value proposition, right? So I have my brand, I have my products and my assortments, right? I'm I'm trying to price them the right way so that they resonate with you or create some kind of differentiator in the market relative to either the quality or the price or the uniqueness of of the offering. And then I'm, I'm trying to make sure that I can get it to you when you need to get it. So if we think of supply chain, you know, instead of this big hairy monster, right? That's essentially what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to make products that you love and get them in your hand when you want them, yeah. right? From a consumer perspective. Now to support all of that, right? Obviously there's a element of either I'm procuring this product from another source or I'm making it for you. You know, that's where the supply chain varies tremendously depending on who you're talking about in the automotive industry versus the pharma industry versus other industries, right? It's all, but the, the components are still there, right? I need to make something or I need to procure something. 
Um, I need to be able to, to get it to where I need it to be, right? And place it in the right place relative to my demand, right? So I know you're in Austin or I'm in California or Eugene's in, 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 in Boston, and I need to make sure that the inventory is where he needs it to be or, or you need it to be in order to get it in time. I need to be able to promise you that that, that inventory is there. And I need to be able to deliver on my promises, right? So if we break it down, you know, to the essence, right, that's what it is. Now the complexity comes in each of the functions, right? If you look at each of these functions, they become domain-centric functions where I need to go very deep, where I'm using machine learning, I'm using analytics to figure out, okay, how much of a product do I need to sell during which seasons? Where are my best suppliers? Who can I get it from at the best cost, right? How does my network look for inbound, right? Am I going to get it from overseas and then I need to go through an ocean in order to get it to a port and then truck it somewhere else? What does all of that look like? And that's where the right tools and the right software solutions become key to helping you answer those questions. So when you come in for some of these big brands, we'll say, I don't know, CVS or something, where do you even start? Like, how do you start the audit process? And maybe what are the biggest surprises? Like, what are these brands missing where they're like, oh, if we only knew about that 10 years ago, would have been way easier. I think you'll see, Eugene and I will riff on this a little bit. I think it's a couple of things, Stephanie. First is the problem points that they have. You know, what we see a lot of, and, and everybody's a little different, right? Number one is, you know, with COVID and with the fact that we all have these, and I would say this came before COVID. Phones, everyone, he's holding up his phone. Phones, phones. Yeah, telephones, right? And and more specifically, the fact smartphones, right? Where we now have a browser in our hand and we want to understand a lot more than what we did in the past, right? In the past, it was more about, hey, you know what? You know, J. Crew is a cool brand. I want to go and, you know, I want to go into the store. I want to check it out. Now I want to browse their catalog. I want to see what's available near me. I want to see whether or not I can get it today. So typically, where we start is the problem points that, companies have relative to the strategy they're trying to implement mm-hmm. and what stressors that have. So one could be, hey, I, I need to expose, you know, how much inventory I have in a store and make it available to a customer. Another could be, you know what, I'm doing that, but I need to be able to optimize my inventory better, put it in the right place so that it doesn't take so long. Those are the type of things that depending on the problem point, and given the fact that Blue Yonder has such a robust portfolio, we start from wherever their pain point is in the supply chain. And we're typically, you know, referred to as kind of the supply chain experts in these areas. Yeah, just to add to what Omar was saying, um, me being in the industry for quite a long time, I took things for granted. But then if you talk to somebody outside of the industry, you always have to educate what is actual supply chain? How does it work? Everyone says, look, I just place an order online and I get the box back. What happened was government started talking about supply chain. Right, saying, look, the stores, you cannot physically go into the stores, but you can come and do a pickup from the store, right? Where you order something online, you pick it up from the store. It's been there forever. I mean, Best Buy have been doing it probably 20 years ago or more. Somewhat not as spread out. People might not, general public might not have understood it well, right? And now everyone had to do that, right? Literally, and I was kind of fascinated, literally as part of the news coverage, right? Where there would be COVID numbers and uh, other kind of updates. It would say, okay, physical stores for non-essential brands can be open for pickup or can be open for shipping. And the reverse was, let's say, stores are closed and our customers call us and Eugene, we we have seasonal merchandise and we have to get rid of it. What do we do? Mm -hmm. The customers are not coming into the store. What do I do with that, right? The answer is you can ship from those stores. 
You can use your stores as a warehouse. And again, kind of old concept to a degree, but it just became so much spread out, right? And those are some of the difficulties we started kind of auditing, discussing, helping customers to say, look, how do you kind of handle these scenarios? Do you see the like customers that you have actually being able to identify their problems? Because to me, if I'm a brand, I'm like, I don't know what I don't know. So I don't know what J. Crew's doing versus Bombas versus these D2C companies who maybe, you know, are mainly and have always used their retail locations as fulfillment centers. Like, do they actually understand the problems they have? Yeah, very often is uh, common, right? That's where you start, uh, right? They, they see a problem of saying, my inventory is not moving, mm-hmm. right? And then we help them. And some of the first questions they ask us saying, look, how other customers do that? How, you know, just because of how our product used across uh, multiple uh, verticals in different domain, uh, they try people to ask us all the time saying, what's the best way mm-hmm. uh, to implement mm-hmm. it? So now what actually we find a lot is, Customers work with us not just to uh, buy a product. They kind of say, look, bring the, the best practices, right? The kind of lessons learned. What's the fastest way to implement that, right? Yes, we all know somebody else is doing shift from store, but how do you ro- roll it out? Do you roll it out across all stores immediately? Do you pick a market where you offer some competitive differentiation, et cetera? Yeah, and I think uh, so just to add there, I think Eugene's point is a, is a good one. I'd look at it in two categories. Generally, they know what they want to impact right? From a strategy perspective, mm-hmm. they might not know how, right? And that's where trusted partners kind of come into play. But to Eugene's point, you typically know, I want to, I, I have an issue with stale inventory sitting in, in, in my warehouse. I have a cost problem with how much it costs me to fulfill orders. I need to bring that down, right? So the problem statements are typically known. To your point, the solutions may not be, mm-hmm. right? So do I go and address you know, order optimization to fix my shipping problem? Mm-hmm. To Eugene's point, if you ship out of stores, hey, you're shipping from a closer uh, uh, location, you're going to get a benefit of potentially lowering your you know, time to deliver to your customers, but your transportation costs may go up a little bit. So how do you cater for that? Do you look at other ways to do it? And that's where we would suggest, well, have you done a network modeling, a network model where you've assessed your ins and your outs and make sure that they're optimized accordingly. Do you need a micro fulfillment center? Do you need to ship directly from your sources, right? Those kind of answers come out after that problem statement has been clearly identified. So the problem statements, I think, are very clear. To your point, they may not know what the solution is to those, and that's where we typically help. So is there a shiny star client where you're like, ah, this one, every time we're going to kind of go with this playbook where we're going to implement these, you know, 10 key pieces and maybe there's a little customization based off their product. Like, is that a good way to think about how you guys work or is it custom every single time? Uh, I don't think it's custom every, every single time. I think to your point, there are, there are definitely key pillars of the supply chain that need to be aligned. And again, all of our customers, I would say, are, are actively working on all of those pillars, mm-hmm. right? Whether it's uh, inventory planning, inventory placement, network modeling, you know, the commerce experience, uh, speed and convenience to their customers, right? Those are all common pillars that every company is trying to figure out whether they're B2B or B2C. It really doesn't matter. They're, they're, they're common, right? Do I have the right place? Do I have the right products in the right place, you know, fast enough to meet the demand that I have when I have it? And am I engaging my customers the way that they want to be engaged? So I think at the end of the day, the pillars are common. What happens, the uniqueness in, in the sauces how do you address it for each customer? So the pillars, like Omar was saying, right? The pillars are common. 
uh, I call them build, building blocks. I think what also makes very different is the, what is the burning, absolute burning, uh, burning pain that the customer is experiencing, right? Mm-hmm. And we've seen different, there are some, let's say retailers, their margins are absolutely through the roof. Mm-hmm. And all they care about is how do I get this product to customers' hands faster, right? They may not actually worry about, uh, uh, you know, extra $3 on shipping just because I want to get customer to have it today or tomorrow. Uh, one good example of some of these uh, scenarios, right, is uh, not margins, but speed is uh, pharmacies, right? So if you think about pharmacy, if I want my, uh, you know, order to arrive within an hour, right, probably I, I, I need it, right? I need this medication. So that's one example. So absolutely, I have to get find the closest location and try to fulfill and orchestrate my supply chain so that I can ship it within an hour. And the flip side, right, is some other retailers where uh, a good example is grocery, where I may want to get my order delivered on Friday, just because that's when I start cooking and so on. And so you can see the difference, right? One is immediate immediacy, and another one is actually I want to plan accordingly. And so you can think of supply chain being orchestrated very differently based on the customer. So from our perspective. So we have these pillars and building blocks, make them very flexible from technically, we call them microservices to make sure that you can use those and build within your kind of whatever customer is looking to achieve. And again, those goals could be very, very different. Uh, everyone is talking about, you know, everything going digital, right? The grocery going digital, uh, you know, this whole omni-channel scenarios. But if you look at every one of them at uh, in detail, they're actually quite unique. Mm-hmm. Uh, many of them are very unique. And our job is to make sure that whatever customers are trying to achieve, we enable them to do so. There's a stereotype of the average American worker whose life goes something like this. Go to work, come home, consume some kind of entertainment, go to sleep, lather, rinse, repeat. If you're listening to this ad, then I know that that life does not resonate with you. For the truly disruptive business leader, work doesn't stay at the office, and unwinding doesn't mean watching TV at night every single night. This is why we've created Mission Daily, a podcast that discusses the trends, habits, and ideas that thoughtful business people are contemplating every day. From quirky business opportunities to interesting investment ideas to the latest research in health and exercise and alternative medicine, and maybe even plant medicine, who knows where we're going to go, but Mission Daily covers it all. We're releasing new episodes every weekday. So join me, Stephanie Postles, and my co-host, Albert Chow, as we discuss the subjects, thoughts, and trends that business leaders think about, but don't talk about. Publicly, that is. Break the status quo. Tune into Mission Daily wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you there. What are some of the new trends that you all see popping up? Because I'm sure you have a lot of people coming to you and they're like, we need to do this right now because we heard other brands are doing this or this is the way of the future. What trends are you hearing that are maybe new in even just the past couple months or so? I think one that's kind of really hot this year to me is uh, same day or hourly delivery. Mm-hmm. That's one, right? Everyone talks about it. It actually remains to be seen uh, how hot it will remain uh, going forward or not, right? And again, if I look at the medicine delivery, it's there to stay. Mm-hmm. Uh, grocery, um, maybe, right? Uh, and there are some that probably it will come and go, right? Because we see many uh, retailers, right? They'll enable same day delivery, but the margins are just not there, mm-hmm. right? Or you end up charging customer, right? $20 for same day delivery of a shirt. It may not stay there. So that's an interesting one. I think it will evolve over time, but uh, same day delivery is uh, definitely a very hot common topic that customers ask us all the time. Mm-hmm. We can riff on that for a, for a bit, Stephanie, because if you think of COVID and the COVID impact, right? So every company that, that you know, offered goods to customers wanted to get it in their hands as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. 
to replicate the in-store experience, right? Because you're browsing an aisle, you're, you're looking. So now I'm focusing on my e-commerce experience. I'm focusing on my digital experience to try to mirror that, right? So that you can actually get it. And, and, and what's the other part of that is putting it in your basket and leaving and, and being able to have that item that day. You know, to Eugene's point, if you look at it a category by category perspective, you know, is same day uptake going to be the same across all the different industries and all the different categories? I would agree with Eugene, probably not, right? Because now that folks are getting mobile again, we may rely on it for pharmacy. We may rely on it for grocery. We may rely on it for essentials. And, and we want it when we want it. But now um, for non-essential goods, do I really need it same day? I may be willing to wait. So that becomes the, the, the balance and the dance from a customer engagement perspective where you want to offer them the options. They may not necessarily be the option that they will take up every single time, yeah. right? And so there's a balance to Eugene's point on that cost to serve. I think the other cool trend or the other trend that I'm seeing, and then Eugene, you and I kind of reverse roles for a sec, right? You talked about the same day delivery, and I'm going to talk about the use of machine learning. So typically, Stephanie, he's the tech geek. Yeah, and I'm we the, just swapped roles the, the, here. I love it. Yeah, yeah. We <laughs> just totally swapped. So what I would say is like super cool that I'm seeing quite a bit in, in industry is the usage of machine learning to solve the problems that people cannot easily. So let's look at grocery for a second, right? Or let's look at um, any other industry where products are very volatile as they're in the store because you've got a lot of people coming in and out, but yet you want to promise against that store potentially because you don't want to have a distribution center that fulfills a product to a customer. To Eugene's point, if I want to deliver same day, I want to get it out of your local you know, Safeway or Lucky's or whatever it may be and get it straight into your hands. So how do I factor for whether or not something's in stock or not? So that's where things like using machine learning and understanding how often they get replenished to how often a product is being demanded, how often a product is actually there when it says it's going to be there, using a brain to determine all of that probabilistically, right? High probability that it's there becomes easier than to do the traditional path of I have five units at the end of uh, at the start of the day and I sold three units and it's now two. Mm -hmm. So being able to use applied machine learning and artificial intelligence in the supply chain, and I just use you know inventory as one, but you could think of it relative to planning. You could think of it relative to assortment resonance during different seasons. Should I offer a pink jacket because of, of you know this type of season where it's going to be cold, but it's kind of bright, so people are actually going to like the color pink more, or you know those kind of things become super super to me, exciting in terms of trends. And we're seeing it more. More and more of the conversations are, how are you tying machine learning and artificial intelligence into your planning tools, into your commerce tools? And then we're being asked, how are you tying planning into execution? How are you bringing those two things together? That to me is super, super exciting. I know it's exciting to you, Eugene, too. We just flipped roles. Yeah. Yeah, We're yeah, excited yeah. about but, this. Eugene's like, no, get is... off my territory, Omar. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Awesome. You see? And, and to me, to kind of continue Omar's, uh, right, what Omar mentioned is, um, to me, that's almost like evolving on visibility, right? So before, many talked about control towers, right? So that's another kind of topic. And now expectations are changing to say, look, 
from control tower and visibility, I need to make it actionable. And how do you make actionable for all this visibility? You actually plug in machine learning. And then if you make it actionable, you can make it urgent to, to and relevant to the current customer, right? So uh, that's another trend that we see quite a lot now is saying, look, uh, we have the control tower, we have visibility. Now, how do you make it actionable, right? Uh, my PO is not arriving for now another two months. The couch discussion we had a, a little earlier before we started, right? would be good to proactively notify customers saying that you probably will not get the couch and maybe recommend another couch or provide a different date, right? So instead of just showing visibility because of the supply chain now is being so uh, kind of rapidly changing, how do you react uh, at, at the way, at the speed that consumer or businesses expect? So I have two thoughts there. First, I'm going to go with the training piece. Whenever people talk about machine learning, I obviously think it's you know going to blow everything out of the water. It's going to help a lot. But then I also think you know, the people on the ground have a lot of that local knowledge where they know what's in style, you know, based off the people that come in. So how do we think about training the models, you know, where people can actually like help with that and influence the outcome? So it's not just a computer, you know, guessing and applying the same, you know, algorithm to Austin versus Washington State. And then whereas people there, you know, picking inventory, I'm thinking of like these consignment shops here who pick this awesome inventory and they are so close to like what people in Austin want versus what someone in DC would want very different or, or San Jose, Omar, like <laughs> no one would want something that's here probably. How do you guys think about no, that? We're weird too. We're all we're weird, weird in our own way. In yeah, yeah, come on, it's You're a different kind of weird. <laughs> but yeah, how do you think about that customization piece and training so that people, you know, on the ground floor can kind of help influence the outcome of those models? Yeah. So a couple of things. So in general, and at least in the industry we work with, uh, people just don't trust machine learning to begin with, yeah. right? Part of it is job security, part of it is uncertainty. Uh, my favorite comment was uh, one customer and we were trying to talk about machine learning and he said, look, Eugene, would you put uh, your child in a school bus that's driven by machine learning? I drive a Tesla, I'm all about it. Well, I know, but he didn't ask about the car, yeah, yeah. he asked about school bus, okay. right? Which is a little bit more complex. So it was a tricky question, yeah. but, uh, but a fair question, right? And I think the takeaway there is you need to, kind of build a system that users can trust, right? Mm -hmm. And there are various ways of doing it, right? One is uh, training, right? So how much data you need? So the common question is that, look, we don't have the data. You'll ask us for two years worth of data. We don't have two years worth of data. And now it's actually worse because the last year of COVID data is very often mm -hmm. kind of useless. Yep, yeah. We talked about this actually with Stitch Fix where she's like, we had the VP of data science yeah. come on and she's like, if we nice. use this, you know, last year of data, we would have all the wrong models because everyone wants athleisure and yoga pants. And she's like, and that will not be the trend in the next year or two. And the next so she's year. saying most oh, people should throw it calls out. And Macy's, calls and Macy's where they had stores closed, yeah. all 2,000 or 3,000 or whatever stores, they're physically closed. So you can learn too much from that. So to your point, training, I couldn't think of more relevant and more uh, right time question than now about training, right? Mm -hmm. So you have to be very careful of what data use, what historical data use to train that. But also the way we kind of think about that, we actually give users manual controls mm -hmm. together with machine learning and a lot of insights onto machine learning, right? So we don't just spit out the data and say, well, trust us, that's the best way, right? But whenever we make a decision, we try to capture all the decision criteria that was used during the time. And it's almost like we generate an audit for it. So that is the best way we found to build trust to, cons uh, to people who use it, right? To be, uh, business owners, of those components to say, look, you made the decision because of that, right? Or can I uh, change few levers manually mm -hmm. because I don't have enough historical data? Yeah. So then you kind of playing with level uh, some levers 
to begin with while you're collecting historical data. And then you start trusting more and more the machine learning and you're adjusting those levers and say, look, now it's less manual and more automatic. So the rollout, the transition, the insights, uh, all kind of super important. And again, many of these are very urgent, right? We talk about customers kind of say, look, in two months, I want this up and running. Uh, I may not have historical data, right? So there's always a combination in the enough historical data to train, right? So you kind of say, look, we'll start training, we'll start collecting the data, doing cleansing and whatever, but you have some manual ways to control it while you're building more and more trust mm-hmm. to your machine uh, learning data. Omar, you want to add? No, no, I was just going to say, I mean, you, you you hit the nail on the head. And I think, Stephanie, one of the, the, the issues, again, is I think, you know, the application of AI and ML in, in retail or in, in, you know, manufacturing or in the different industries is relatively new, and so are the solution providers potentially. So to Eugene's point, giving transparency was a problem. Mm-hmm. You know, if I show what's happening, I'm potentially exposing my solution to mm-hmm. you, which frankly is what you have to do. Because in order for me to trust you, to Eugene's point, I have to understand what you're doing yeah. and why you're doing it so that you build what Eugene highlighted, which is confidence. And being able to say, hey, look, if you're not confident above 90% in this decision. And, and I would argue to your point on self-driving, yeah. right? If, if you can't drive this thing 99.9% to the rules of the road, I'm not going to trust you. I'm going to, I'm going to grab mm-hmm. it. But if you can, and you prove to me that you can, and that you have over the past year, you have, then you know what? Yeah, I trust you. So the ability to actually understand and have the control of, you know, what it's doing, and be able to have the control of, yes, I want to accept you or no, I don't, becomes critical to machine learning adoption, yeah. right? Absolutely critical. And what I love about that is it's leveling everyone up in the industry because then everyone is like a data scientist. Everyone is understanding the weighting of the different variables and how to play with it and input their own human element into it. Like it's literally leveling yeah. everyone up in the industry. You get to innovate on top of it, right? You get to use data science to really create unique experiences for your target segment, which could be different than your competitor's com- uh, target segment, right? That's how you get to differentiate as well, right? Mm-hmm. So the ability to truly understand your market, truly understand your supply chain, truly understand what you can improve within it, right? Becomes, you know, again, to me, I geek out with Eugene on that quite a bit, right? Because I just think it's it's super, super cool. I love that. I mean, it seems like transparency and visibility are, you know, kind of the way forward in this industry. I'm even thinking about same day delivery. Does it matter? Does it not? Maybe depends on the industry, but probably what matters most is the messaging behind that of where is my package? It can be 20 days out in the future, as long as I actually can go and look into that. Like, are you guys seeing some trends around companies really trying to put everything forward when it comes to being very transparent around where things are, what the process looks like? So customers are like fully in the loop. Yeah, I mean, at some degree, you summarized why Blue Yonder bought Yantrix, right? The company we founded, right? At the core of it is you have supply chain. And when we got together, we said, look, if you take the supply chain and you bring up, which is kind of could be scary because it puts a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure on supply. But if you bring it up front and center and make it transparent and visible, that's where the power is, right? So that, that the core, that's really Absolutely. why we came together with Blue Yonder and Yantrix to try to try to achieve that. It also, and kind of the technical side of me, right? That's where the complexities are. Because 
when you show this transparency, if you think of a supply chain, it tend, historically it tends to be more of a background jobs, right? So mm-hmm. there's something in the background that kind of gets your box out, et cetera. Now, if you want to take all that and expose it front and center, right, it can no longer be a background, right? I cannot say, well, customer, I'll tell you where your order is in 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Right? I need to respond in five milliseconds maybe yep. because it needs to show on your mobile phone within some uh, low millisecond response times. So the technical challenges to do that is actually quite quite interesting. That's what you know excites uh, us and we talk about it a lot is the architecture. You can't just take kind of an old... Uh, an old program that was written back in the days and say, look, now it's exposed to the front end. Now it's a website. Now you can compete with Amazon. It doesn't work that way. And uh, Omar talks quite a lot about kind of uh, some of those vertically integrated supply chain uh, in, the, in the industry. So Omar, you may want to touch on that, but that's really relevant to what you said. Yeah, let's hear about it. I would, I would start first, maybe Stephanie, with what, what, what you said, and, and I'm going to go back to machine learning for a second, yeah. right? In understanding customer behaviors, there is definitely a, a balance between what you're willing to deal with in terms of time uh, and speed, right? And what you're willing to pay, pay for, dependent on the product assortment and what it is and when it is and when you're buying it. So number one, to your point, accuracy and reliability is absolutely tantamount to any kind of promises that I'm, that, that I'm engaging. And I think we're, you're seeing that across every retailer that's now trying to build it. Like every reseller now, every retailer now, again, another another trend that you're seeing, you look at the product details page, guess what you're seeing now? Order now, get it tomorrow. Order now, get it in 10 days. You're seeing dates now, right? You're not seeing day ranges anymore, five days, four days. You're seeing July, Wednesday, July 3rd. To Eugene's point, that now puts stress on the supply chain to make sure that that happens. But you're no longer seeing three to five business days. And if you are, they're actively looking at how do they make that a different proposition. And then to your point, there's analysis being done on the back end saying, will Stephanie still buy this thing if the lead time is greater than this or, 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 or not, right? So I'm analyzing trends to say, no, you know, for these type of products, I really need to offer same-day delivery. I need to make sure that it's available within, um, you know, uh, 24 hours and get it in her hands in three days. If it's more than three days or four days or five days, she doesn't buy. So abandonment and analyzing kind of what that does to your shopping cart and behavior. So that's one. The second piece to what Eugene was talking about is now these different pillars of the supply chain, the power of being able to go deep within them to surface those promises, but then stitch them together, right? To actually provide a unique value proposition to you. And I'm going to say a word that people aren't going to like and influence your behavior to what I want you to do becomes super powerful. As an example, I'm in the shopping cart. You have three items in your shopping cart. Those three, I understand that they're actually going to be kind of expensive for me to fulfill. I can incent you, and you've seen this with Kohl's and others, to go and pick up in store and I'll give you a coupon. And I know that when you walk in the store, you attach more. But now I've actually connected two things that are typically not connected, which is pricing and promotion with delivery execution, Mm -hmm. right? Typically, those are separate, right? And in the old world, they were completely separate. Now I'm tying them together. So the ability to actually create these domain-centric microservices that are loosely coupled, they can work on their own. But then once once I integrate them together, they work seamlessly 
in the response times required at the scale required, because we're not talking about that yet. We haven't talked about that. But one of the big things is, dude, the internet, the website has an SLA of how quick things need to come back and how hard, you know, how high it needs to scale. And these execution systems were not necessarily built for that. So being able to actually scale to those kind of volumes while providing very deep intelligence on the supply chain is not an easy problem. Mm -hmm. It is a problem we solved. We're very proud of the fact that we solved that. But, you know, it's not an easy problem to address. The power of the domain-centric microservices that can be a single call, regardless of who's calling it, the integration and the stitching between the two, coupled with the intelligence on top of it to understand what behavior you want and what behavior I want from you becomes, you know, truly, in my opinion, the secret to success. Yeah, I love the idea of stitching things together. Made a perfect little model in my mind around what's happening. What are some of the maybe like one or two case studies of a company coming in, getting all of this working together, and then being like, well, here's the results that happened in however long it took? I think there's a couple of things here. And Eugene, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, rely on you. So one Industry example is obviously Amazon, right? You see it, you see it all the time, right? You know, again, from a blue yonder customer centric uh, cu- customer perspective, you think of grocery, you think of all of the different, uh, you know, retail clients that that we had at Yandrick. They're all on this journey to connect, and and I use Petco as, as as one of my key examples, right? You look at their ability to deliver not only you know commitments to their customers, but they've actually been able to make them. You know, uh, things like free same day delivery in, in, in certain markets and, and free, you know, one to two day delivery. It really was, you know, helped them turn the corner, right? They rapidly added capabilities. So, you know, time to value becomes very, very important on anything that's doing because these transformation projects are huge and they take a very long period of time. But if you think of what Petco has been able to do in a short period of time, to highlight Petco in a minute. Or, you know, again, we can talk industry-wise about what Amazon has been able to do with Whole Foods and delivery. You know, you can see Albertsons and Safeway and what, what, what they're doing, right, in, the, in terms of, of innovation there. But if I highlight Petco for, for a second, you look at the ability that they were able to turn on, you know, 1,500 stores in, into, into ship from stores. Mm-hmm. But being able to do all of that and surface them into customer value at the time that customers needed it, and be able to pivot and and even pivot strategies along the way as they were understanding customer behaviors, that becomes you know what you know makes me smile, right? Because that's exactly what we want these platforms to be able to do. That's great. I mean, pivoting is definitely seems like you have to be able to do that in this day and age. You got to be able to go quickly, move where your customers are going because you never know what's coming next. When it comes to what's coming next, I want to hear what do you guys think are the biggest disruptions coming into supply chain? Like, what are you thinking around blockchain or what other crazy ideas are you thinking are like, this is going to come and impact everything? And Eugene, maybe this is your area to play in. Uh, one part of it, right, is uh, as it's uh, known, right, that Panasonic kind of intends to acquire uh, Blue Yonder, mm-hmm. right? And one interesting part of that, and that's primarily in the industry, right, but somewhat related to that, is edge, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, you can do a lot with the, so we talked about visibility, we talked about machine learning, right? The part that's missing in all this equation and throughout the industry, right, is the edge intelligence, right? So now if you kind of can see uh, when customers walking into the store, and again, there are kind of point solutions here and there, I don't think it's been kind of as uh, broad as uh, we would like, is let's say a customer walks into the store, right? And you can just scan the face, right? And have understanding of the mood of the customer, what recommendations and the uh, 
what offers are there, right? Uh, on inventory, again, knowing uh, where the items are in real time, not just saying that, yes, this PO is arriving uh, 20 days from now, right? But actually have a sensor on that uh, specific item and knowing that it's going from China to uh, maybe West Coast, right? On the truck to uh, Minneapolis somewhere, right? So with the edge data, you can uh, kind of, machine learning and visibility and all this execution becomes on steroids. That's one trend that I think uh, will will evolve uh, quite a bit. Uh, machine learning in general, right, will just uh, kind of keep uh, spread out. On some of the execution side, automation is a big one, right? Uh, again, uh, we think about it in the context of an edge, uh, right? So you kind of, you come to the store to do a pickup, store pickup, and you have this bag automatically kind of available to you, right? It's rolled out as, uh, on, on the robot. Those few, Omar, you want to add a few more? No, no, I think I think you're spot on. I mean, even if, if I expand what, what Eugene just said, think about freshness as well, right? Where I actually, you know, I, I can use the edge technologies via, you know, temperature sensors to actually tell you how fresh a particular product mm-hmm. is, right? And, and, you know, if somebody takes it off of a shelf, I'm automatically replenishing either from my back room or I'm creating an order because you know what? My plan of what I was going to be replenished has now spiked given, you know, the demand because it was hotter in a given area. So using weather, you know, and, and, and um, different kind of uh, spikes that may occur, right? So when you think of edge and when you think of kind of applying other intelligence in, right, like sensors, robotics, those kind of things, automation, process efficiency become key. Mm-hmm. On the other side of that, right, when you think about customer engagement and being able to truly reach the customer. To me, what becomes, you know, super, super exciting is, is you think of getting people products and you were already seeing it, which was kind of interesting is that, you know, a couple of years ago, being able to see a delivery date was a big Mm -hmm. deal, right? Now you're able to select time, you know, Hey, I want it between this time and this time. And I don't think that's, that's going to go away. I think that you're going to see brands do everything they can to uh, look at a customer's lifetime value and pull out all the stops relative to engagement Mm -hmm. and how I engage with you, whether it's the stuff that I talked about relative to coupons, relative to loyalty programs, relative to same-day delivery, time slots, all of those kind of things. But being able to truly understand my customer lifetime value with a customer and be able to cater specific needs around them also becomes a second key trend that I believe you're going to see all the companies moving to. And you're already seeing some of it, right, with loyalty programs and and, and other things and differentiated benefits mm-hmm. as a result, yeah. right? Uh, I mean, I think we're very excited. And obviously, I've already told you I'm super excited about how things stitch together, mm-hmm. right? So, And we're actively building those stitch components. Real-time demand into planning, into the Internet of Things to understand and edge to understand what's actually happening, collaboration with suppliers, right, in real time so that you can actually order and, 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 and adjust plans dynamically. I could geek out for a very long time, but there's a lot, I think, that is, is going to come in this supply chain that you'll see over time that'll just, and it's all catered around making Stephanie's life easier when she's buying her couch, Right. All right. So the one thing I also want to bring up, you mentioned earlier about an acquisition, and I wanted to kind of touch on that because you guys are interesting. You worked at 
Yontrix before. You had the company Yontrix before. You got acquired by Blue Yonder. And now Panasonic is looking to acquire Blue Yonder for, I think it was $7.1 billion with a B. I want to kind of hear about that journey because that's very fun. And I haven't had many companies on the show who can talk about that. Yes, that's quite uh, interesting. Uh, just a year, exactly a year ago, because it was in July, Yantrix was uh, acquired by uh, Blue Yonder, right? And uh, that was uh, an interesting uh, kind of transition, uh, exciting, right? A little bit nervous, et cetera. But uh, the acquisition was kind of the strategy was of investment and growth, mm-hmm. right? It was very well understood. The supply chain needs to have this kind of transparency to the customer, bring it to the front end, et cetera, from commerce perspective. And that was pretty much investment, right? Uh, uh, going forward. I guess we're a little bit fortunate within the world Blue Yonder because other parts of Blue Yonder obviously didn't go through the acquisition, but we just did. And mm-hmm. so we understand the process maybe a little bit better. It's a little bit fresher in our minds. So I'm very excited actually about uh, Panasonic because to me, that looks very similar trend, but like you said, on much bigger scale and uh, kind of bringing the supply chain with the edge, right? With the some of the automation, bringing it all together is very exciting. So to me, we were kind of the micro experiment within the mm-hmm. Blue Yantrix and Blue Yandra, And now that becomes a macro experiment between Panasonic and uh, and Blue So again, uh, you'll find me as one of the you know most optimistic people. You know, whenever there's acquisition, people are always a little bit mm-hmm. nervous and concerned. But because we just went through the journey and uh, we're, whatever we were able to achieve in one year, it would be absolutely impossible to achieve the same without the acquisition, right? Because when we were a startup, right, uh, we were self-funded and we could grow organically, et cetera. But just with this acquisition, right, it accelerated up. And now I see that and if imagining, you're assuming everything goes as planned, as announced, uh, the possibility there is uh, quite exciting. Omar, anything to add? I think it's very, very exciting. I, I would say we were kind of that micro spark into, you know, a, a rich strategy that I think, you know, Garish and the leadership, leadership team at Blue Yonder had in terms of where they see the industry going. And I think it's a testament to, you know, their vision, right? So, I mean, again, a Panasonic acquisition, if you think about it, traditionally, it would be like a supply chain company coming together with, with Panasonic. How does that Makes sense. But then when you think about the application opportunities within manufacturing, the ports, uh, within you know the four walls of, 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 a, of a retail uh, facility or a store, uh, warehousing, right, robotics, all of that kind of thing, it makes a lot of sense. You know, I'm, I'm very excited about it. I think, again, to your point and to Eugene's point, we've ridden a, a wave that's been, you know, tremendously fun for us, right? You know, um, you know, Eugene and I worked together, uh, you know, at, at Target and, and, you know, Yontrix and, and, and beyond and the greater Yontrix team, right? Which, which was a family coming into the Blue Yonder family and being, you know, welcomed as well as we were. And then, you know, now being, a, you know, part of this, this new chapter and this new journey and, and, you know, being able to help write those stories, it's very humbling and it, it's, uh, a very fun thing to be part of, to be honest, right? It's just, it's just pretty cool. Again, what we talk about the edge, right, with Panasonic Financial, the other part of it, you asked what are the new trends? The other trend, and I forgot to mention last time, B2C moving into B2B in terms of expectations, right? So now when we're in the B2B, right, if I'm in a manufacturing facility and I'm ordering parts, right, or if I'm in IT department, I'm ordering servers, Etc. The expectations, uh, we always consumers shop so much on the retail websites, which are putting uh, all new capabilities. 
we don't expect anymore to oh, we are shopping at some against some ERP system, right? Which is you know blue screens or whatever, whatever else. So this whole kind of uh, digital revolution, right, is kind of capturing B two B now, and that's we really see it accelerating. Whether it's a direct to consumer from manufacturers or whether it's a B two B or all these other flavors, right, three uh, PLs, etc. This kind of digital revolution is taking over from what we've seen in B2C, what we all as people just used to and kind of spreading around there. And I think that's also quite exciting. And with Panasonic, empowering some of that uh, makes it even more powerful. I love that. And you definitely see that in all the industries too, trying to approach B2B in the same way they're doing B2C. And some industries, that's perfect. And some, maybe not, but awesome. Well, it's been a pleasure having you both on. Such a fun roundtable, such a good vibe. Where can people hear more or learn more about Blue Yonder and you guys? So Stephanie, obviously through our through our website, you know, uh, Eugene and I, of course, are all over. <laughs> so so um, also, you know, LinkedIn, you know, uh, people can feel free to ping us there, as well as through again our our uh, our Blue Yonder website and the different category pages of the different solutions that they need. So that's that's definitely available. But uh, yeah, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you very, very much for your time. Thank you, Stephanie, for your time. Thank you, guys. Hey, listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word, and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time. Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Up Next in Commerce podcast. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of e-commerce experts, reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to get the conversation started.